0: Well, good morning and welcome to Water and Stone. My name is Dita Randolph, and I'm really happy to be with you again today. I'm happy for a lot of reasons. I gotta tell you that when I made the decision to start on a long series, working through the whole Bible in a classroom kind of a format or as close as we can get in this uh, quarantine day and age and all of that, it occurred to me that I might lose some folks along the way because You know, not everybody feels comfortable with the Bible. Some people have issues. Some people want to know, you know, I want to know how to pay my bills and fall in love. And this seems like something I've left behind me. But what we're learning together is that this is the primary textbook, uh, not in terms of learning something so that you can be a better churchgoer, although I suppose that helps too. This is a primary textbook for living your life, real life. If you've got real problems, real healing opportunities, real things that you're working through, there are real lessons in here for you. And I knew that, obviously. It's something that I've believed for a very, very long time. But I got to say, I'm so happy to see that so many other people are feeling the same way. If anything, more people are watching these videos and sharing than ever before. I'm just incredibly gratified and incredibly grateful for you. You know I'm going to remind you again after we talk to uh, like and subscribe and share and all that. But I want to let you know that those people who have been sharing these messages by clicking the share button, by sending an email to somebody else, Oh, it just means the world. I've been getting emails and and text messages and all kinds of uh, correspondence from people all over the place, people I'd never met before this series. And so I'm glad it's working for you, because I got to tell you, it's working for me. Today, we're going to be talking about David. Remember him? We're going to be talking about two big stories in his life, David and Goliath, you know that one, and David and Bathsheba, which you might not know so well, because it's not a great uh, moment for David. But through both of those stories, they kind of bookend a really interesting experience, and they've got something to teach you about triumph, about love, and about life. So, if that sounds good to you, let's get started with our opening prayer. God is, and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is and so it does. Amen. So, We're going to talk about David and Goliath. And this story is in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17. And you know a lot about this one. This is a Sunday school kind of a story. It's one of those things that the idea of the little guy facing off against the big guy has become an idiom in our culture. It's something that we have some level of uh, familiarity with. And so... It might be comforting to dive back into those waters, but it might be surprising because there's some things that not everybody is familiar with about this story. But because you know it so well, we can jump right in. You know the stage, right? You know what's going on here. Here's Saul's army, and here's the bad guys with that great Philistine Goliath standing in front. And there's this idea that there's, they're going to lose. The good guys are not going to win. Nobody can beat this guy. And by extension, nobody can beat this army. The Bible goes on and on and on in a lot of different ways to talk about how formidable, how big Goliath is. A cubit is about 18 inches or so. So give or take Goliath is around 10 feet tall. The big guy and it talks about how his his spear is the size of a weaver's beam imagine something like a railroad tie or a telephone pole even something like that something gigantic and over and over again in so many different ways the bible goes out of its way to say big this is important this is important for a lot of reasons. Not just for the sake of drama, although that's nice. It's a great story, and I think one of the reasons we remember it is the drama is amped up pretty high in this story. But it's also important because I want this to be a story that you come back to when you're facing something that seems insurmountable. A, a diagnosis from a doctor. Oh, It seems big. Is it Goliath big? Problems with money. It might seem big. Is it Goliath big? situations in your love life, something you saw on the news, a weather problem, a hurricane coming, it's big, is it Goliath big? The idea being, and this is something we'll touch on again when we get to the resurrection, so please pay attention, put this in your pocket, but the idea being, no matter what you're facing, if this thing happens, if David can best Goliath, then you can do whatever it is that needs to be done by you, because you are not just you. This is the lesson. I think part of the deal is that the Bible goes out of its way to talk about how giant Goliath is, how thick his armor, how powerful the weaponry, how mean, all of these things. To remind us that you can't fight fire with fire. Now, no spoilers. You know how this story is going to end, right? And one of the things that it's really important to understand is David does not beat Goliath, the big and strong guy, by being bigger and stronger. You can't fight fire with fire. That just burns the house down quicker, right? We talked about this. We're going to talk about this. This is one of those threads that goes throughout the whole journey with the Bible. This is one of those threads that goes out throughout the whole journey with life. The answer is almost never, I'm going to be bigger and tougher than the big and tough. So often the lesson is to take the road less traveled by, to not fight fire with fire, to not go to that place. It might be that there's somebody mean that you have to deal with at work. Getting just as mean as them doesn't make you better, doesn't help, doesn't make it go away, does it? Have you tried to be just as vicious as someone who's vicious to you? Does that work for you? Even if you quote unquote win, you're kind of lost. You know what I mean? Can you beat a cancer diagnosis by being sicker than the cancer? I mean, come on. It doesn't work that way, right? If we're going to have a life that works, one of the lessons of the David and Goliath story is, is our answers need to come from another place, not through the sweat of our brow. Remember, this is post-Eden thinking that you got to fight fire with fire. Let's get back to that Eden place where we remember that when you're working with God, things work. When you're working with God, things work. And we saw that in Joseph and we saw that with Ruth and we're going to see it here today. It's interesting because when we first meet David, little guy, one of the first things that we learn about him is that David lives in two worlds. He goes back and forth between Saul's battlefield where his brothers are and he brings them food and that kind of a thing. He goes back and forth between Saul's battlefield and where he's uh, tending his father's flock in Bethlehem. This is important, that back and forth idea that our hero lives in two worlds. This is something that gets borrowed a lot in all kinds of literature. So often there's this archetype of someone that lives in two worlds, that they understand the city, but they're really their heart is in wild places, for example. Think of the heroes that you know about in your stories. Think about Hagrid in the Harry Potter stories. Think about Han Solo in the Star Wars stories, who knows how to do the right thing, but he's very comfortable with being a scoundrel. There's this idea that the hero lives in two worlds, and this is really important because you live in two worlds. You are made out of God's stuff, so to speak, but you have business to take care of right now. It's important to understand that we don't, we don't succeed, we don't win in life by abandoning our concerns, the things that we ought to be doing, and just navel-gazing on a mountaintop somewhere. But we also don't succeed by jumping right into being the Goliath type and just dealing with our physical stuff, with our money, with our credit rating, with how, how many pounds we can bench or whatever. That is also missing the point. David lives in two worlds, and that's the beginning of why he's a hero. You live in two worlds, too. So we can skip ahead a little bit, and you know the deal. Goliath basically says, look, let me just fight one guy. Pick somebody, Saul. You? You want to (laughs) go? You want a piece of me? And whoever wins, they win. The showdown, right? And as you might imagine, nobody volunteers for that. Almost nobody. Maybe you've had that in your life where you go, you know what? I I don't need to to beat everything. I don't need to to have all the money in the world. I just want to pay this bill. I don't need everybody to like me. I just want to feel like somebody loves me. Those moments, you know, it it comes up a lot. We're going to see it when we talk about Elijah where there's one cloud. You know, I just want this one thing to happen. You know you're almost to your answer point. You're almost to your point of victory when it seems clear that it has been reduced down to one thing. And it might not be the thing that you expect. Remember, part of this lesson is to get our ego out of the way, right? But when we realize it, oh, wait, this has got to work. And often it's the quote-unquote bad guy. It's the adversity. It's the Goliath that presents it to you. Just do this. It's interesting. It's interesting. Stop praying for God, give me all the money in the world or God, give me $15 million and start praying for, I want one simple answer, God, tell me what it is. Things will get clearer for you, just like they do for David, because this is incredibly clear for David. It's interesting when you read the scripture, David uh, says to his brothers, he hears about this. Remember, he's going to bring his brother sandwiches or whatever. His brothers are in the army and he says, who is he? Goliath? Who is he to go up against the armies of God? Who is he to, here's the quote, who is he to taunt the armies of the living God? In other words, God is here. Who does this guy think he is? Over and over again, we get the idea that David doesn't even see how big Goliath is. It doesn't register with him because to David, it doesn't matter. This is interesting, isn't it? David just doesn't see that. It's not, a, it's not the point. And in, in my book, Meaning Fulfilled, I talk about the idea that I was walking with my wife, Jenny, and we saw a bird fly down into the water and pick a fish up and take it back to the bird's nest. Now, you see that all the time if you walk by the water in Florida. It's kind of what birds do. Very few birds go swimming, you know? That's the bird's element. The bird wins, so to speak, and gets to survive and all that by taking the bird on its context, taking the fish rather, on its context instead of living in the fish's context. In the book, I talk about Hercules and Antaeus. There's There's a famous myth about that. Antaeus gets his power from touching the earth. And instead of trying to wrestle with Antaeus, on that level, Hercules picks him up, takes him out of his context. In the same way, this is one of those stories. David isn't interested in how strong Goliath is, just like it's not your job to be interested in how big and bad the problem is. That doesn't matter because at the end of the day, that's God's job. You're gonna get to the point where you can look at that, whatever it is, and say, who are you to taunt the armies of the living God in one way or another? You don't have to be so dramatic about it, but that is the point. David doesn't even see it. And the interesting thing is, this is something you've experienced too, his brothers tell him to shut up. They say, don't ask questions like that. We've got too much to worry about w- with this skinny shepherd kid uh, causing trouble. But David stops asking questions and he becomes the answer. He volunteers, as you know, you, you know the story. And Saul says, you know, who are you? And David says, look, I'm a shepherd and I have had to protect my flock with no weapons, no armor, no army. And I have fought a bear and I have fought a lion. And here's the interesting part. In both cases, David doesn't say I was stronger than they were. He says, God gave me what I needed to win. And to me, uh, this Goliath guy, no different. Now, what we start to see is something very interesting. You know, because you know the story, that David's going to end up being a king. And it's interesting right now that David sees his countrymen as his flock in the same way that he sees his sheep. In other words, he doesn't see a difference. I'm here to protect and care for these people. He's already demonstrating royal qualities. Can you look at your life? And demonstrate royal qualities by going, whoever is in my life, if you're here, I'm here to take care of you, here to help, here to protect in every way I can through whatever God gives me to do. Saul responds to evidence. You know, David says, Look, it's worked for me in the past, it's gonna work for me in the future. But Saul can't win this war because Saul only responds to evidence. We see this because Saul gives David armor. Okay, this is proven to protect you against big, strong things, right? But proof isn't the same thing as faith. If you're writing stuff down, that's something to write down. It's something I say all the time. Proof isn't the same thing as faith. It doesn't matter what happened before. You can be proven that the world is flat, but now we know better. We're smarter than that, right? It can be proven... Everybody agrees that this is evidence and factual that people are better than other people because of the color of their skin or their gender or some other goofy thing, that we get smarter than that later on. It might be proven that every single thing in your life that you've tried has just not worked. Is that proof that you're no good? Proof is not the same thing as faith. David doesn't need proof, he doesn't need armor, he doesn't need validation because David's power comes from somewhere else just like yours. And you know just as well as I do that a whole lifetime of seeming failures can lead to that one moment when things change. If you stop leaning on proof and you start leaning on truth. So David doesn't take the armor. Another, this is another one of those take off your sandals for the place you stay in its holy ground moments. This is a recurring theme in scripture. David's not interested in the outer thing. He's not even interested in the separation. And instead he goes to the river. And he picks out five smooth stones. They've been made smooth by the river. In other words, human hands didn't make these weapons. Nature did. The divine did. God did. He goes and gets those stones out of the water. His weapon comes from another place. Later on, this idea gets stolen, blatantly stolen for the King Arthur story because Excalibur, once again, that comes from the water. It's the same story. It's been stolen here the innocent farm boy who grabs the sword. Uh, You know that story. And here's where it comes from. Isn't that interesting? But so David gets these smooth stones out of the water and he puts them in his shepherd's bag. In other words, the bag that he's already gotten. This is a lesson too. Did you know that there are so many lessons? This is a dense story. He goes and he gets the stones that have come from God, the weapon that comes from somewhere else, and he puts them in what he already knows. In other words, he applies them to his life right now. David's method is not about escape. It's about right use of what God gives you, bringing it to bear on where you are right now. Do you pray the prayer of get me out of this job, get me out of this relationship, get me out of this zip code, get me out of this situation? Or do you pray the prayer of let me apply what God gives me to the here and now? That's what David does. And so there's this speech. And I want to read it to you uh, right, out of, right out of the Scripture because it's, it's really important. This is 1 Samuel 17, 41 through 47. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. Pretty boy, I guess. The Philistine, Goliath, said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the fields. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. I'm going to say that again. The Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So this is interesting. The battle is the Lord's. This all belongs to God, and this is already a done deal. You just don't know it yet, Goliath. You just don't know it yet, but David knows it. You're going to get to a place where you realize that God put you wherever you are, and that means that God is going to deliver you to where you need to be next to the degree that you agree, to the degree that you agree. That's what this takes. David's not afraid, not because he trusts a uh, armor and weapons and swords and spears and and credit ratings and, and approval of other people and whatever else. David isn't afraid because he knows who he is. And you know what happens. Five smooth stones, but it only takes one shot. There's an interesting moment there because Goliath is down. And not to get to Sam Peckinpah, Quentin Tarantino about it, but you know what happens if you know the story. They might have skipped this part in Sunday school. But David takes Goliath's head, and he takes it with Goliath's sword. Your adversity brings with it the tools for its undoing. Your adversity brings with it the tools for its undoing. The solution is baked into the problem is what I'm trying to say. And it's right there in the story and it's right there in your life. And I think that that's really interesting. This is all it takes for you to get to where you need to go. You need to know who you are. And that's especially interesting because you may or may not know the next story that I want to share with you. A lot of years go by, a lot of things happen, a lot of things worth uh, you taking a look at about the life of of David and all of that, but we can skip ahead a little bit because I want to talk about the story of David and Bathsheba. This is an interesting story for other reasons. In the Goliath story, we see David completely secure in who he is. He doesn't need validation, he doesn't need a fancy outfit, he doesn't need any of those things. The word David, the name, means beloved. And in his story, we see love working itself out. When love knows what it is, man, that's powerful. When you're in love and you know it, for example, man, oh man, mountains move, right? But love can also get wrapped up in ego and attachment and selfishness and materialism and All kinds of stuff. And so David's story is a story of how love works itself out, and you can listen to love, you can listen to your ego, and everything in between, and here we go. (laughs) Bathsheba is in uh, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. This is a story about heroes and their being in process. This is a story about accountability. This is a story about blame. This is a story about where to look when you're looking for a solution. So here's David looking out his uh, balcony, let's say, and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath on her roof. And I don't know how to say this. He likes what he sees. All the soldiers are out fighting somewhere, and uh, David has his messengers. Messengers is a strange word for what happens. He has his messengers go get her. Go get Bathsheba. Now look, there is nothing like uh, consent here. This is nothing like okay. This is terrible. And I don't want to gloss over the fact that it's incredibly objectionable in so many ways. And we don't get to forgive it just because it's David, just because of all the cool stuff David did. This doesn't excuse that. And we're going to see that it really doesn't excuse that in just a minute. But so he has his messengers, go get Bathsheba, bring her back. Uh, Let's call it a date. But you know exactly what I mean. You know what happens. And again, not okay, not consensual, not anything. This isn't a love story. This is a story about love used inappropriately, let's say. Um, terrible abuse of power. Okay, you get it. After learning that Bathsheba is subsequently with child, David does this crazy thing. He's already way, way out of, uh, out of the realm of what's okay, right? But he sets up Bathsheba's husband. His name is Uriah. He sets up Uriah because Uriah is a good guy, a good soldier, that kind of thing. And he tells his, his, uh, his generals, his, his guys in the military, he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. The next time you're in a battle, we're going to set Uriah up to be right at the front. And we'll all charge, and then it's like red light, green light. Everybody else stop and let Uriah get slaughtered. And then, you know, go about fighting and all that. So David sets Uriah up to be, to be destroyed so that he can marry Bathsheba, have the kid, be his kid, legitimately, so to speak, it, and all of that stuff. And that's what happens. But after a while, there's this guy, Nathan. Nathan is a prophet, and Nathan comes to David and he says, "I want to tell you a story, a parable." He says, "Imagine <clears throat> that there's this old shepherd and he's got one sheep. He's not a very successful shepherd. But that sheep is everything to him. It's almost like a member of the family. It comes in the house when it rains. That that sheep gets food off of that man's table. It, it's it's his livelihood, the wool and all that, but it's this is not uh anything but a kind relationship. And then imagine this other uh let's say, a more of a Purdue kind of a situation where there's a lot of sheep and this one guy owns a sheep. He doesn't care about them. They, they come and go and they're killed when they're, they're not longer of service and, and all of that. And that, that industrialist shepherd goes and takes the one sheep from the old guy just because he can. And David says, that's terrible. He says, that guy needs to be put away. That guy needs to be killed. That's terrible. We got to go beat that guy up something. Isn't it interesting? And Nathan, of course, says the thing that everybody reading the story, if you imagine if you were in the room, I, I imagine being one of David's advisors going, Don't, don't, don't say what you're about to say. Your Highness, don't, don't you get it? David's a smart guy, but ego makes you dumb. That's how it works. Every time, every time. You know what? You've lived it. I have too. But David says, we gotta beat this guy up, we gotta put him away, everything like that. And Nathan says, You're that guy. This is a a a story about you. And David begins to repent. He begins to try to make it right. I mean, how do you make this right? I don't know, but he tries everything he can. He, he prays and he fasts and he tries to make it okay and he tries to give uh, everybody involved a, a better life and he tries to express it. He realizes in that moment that what he did was wrong and that he's got to make it right. And this is a big deal because what I want you to know is as we read these stories of The Bible, one of the things that comes up a lot is people say, how come the Bible isn't more like stereo instructions, you know? How come it's just a lot of stories? How come it doesn't just say, everybody be nice, and here's how to be nice? I've had people ask me those kinds of questions. First of all, stereo instructions ain't that clear. But more than that, uh, it doesn't stand the test of time because situations change. What might be a good way to describe how to live a good life to a shepherd might not work so well for a CPA, right? But more than that, more than any of that, what would have happened if Nathan had just said, you know, David, you've been a naughty boy. This is terrible what you've done. Have you ever had anybody tell you something like that, to just to straighten you out, to give you a bunch of facts? Did you even stay awake for it? But man, oh man, if somebody told you a story, it became part of you. This is important. The Bible is a bunch of stories for the same reason that Nathan's story is impactful with David. Because this is how we communicate. This is how we talk. This is why. This is the why of the Bible right here in this little moment. It's one of the reasons I wanted to share the story with you. But it's not just that. It's also because at the end of the day, every story is about you. Just like Nathan says, you're the guy. I want you to know you're the guy. You're the gal. You're it. If a story resonates with you, it's telling you that there's something in you that needs to hear that. That is living that story. Sometimes the stories are really, really happy. Sometimes the stories, well, not so much, but one way or another, there's something that you can learn. It's always you. This is the counterpart. This is why I wanted to tell these two stories today David and Goliath, the story is the battle is the Lord's. David and Bathsheba, the story is it's you. So in other words, the power and everything else comes from God, but you've got to do something about it. You've got to be true to what God gives you. And what we learn from David, and in fact, what we learn from every character in the Bible, is to the degree that they remember that the battle, the situation, the, so- the salvation, the solution, is the Lord's, to the degree that they remember it and they act like it, things work. We learn that through uh, parting the Red Sea, and we learn it today. And so what happens next, real quick, is that the child, that first son that David had with Bathsheba, it dies. Because this is not productive. You can't grow from there. It has to stop, right? That's part of the lesson there. But David begins to, he continues to repent and try to make it better and turn over a new leaf and all of that stuff. And, and there's another child, and that kid's name is Solomon. Perhaps you've heard of him, he's kind of important. But it's not just that something good can rise out of all of this, it's also something really interesting happens with David. If you read it on a literary level, the perspective of, of David shifts. From this moment on, from the Bathsheba moment on, David no longer directs the events of the story. From now on, David is at the mercy of what happens to him. He stepped out of the flow. And so now he's like a a leaf on the wind. He's not directing anything anymore because he, he misused his love. Well, God's given you some love. This story is about how love works when you align with it. It's about how love works when you align with your ego. These two stories, David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba, are in a way the same story because they're asking the same question. Where is your power? Is your power in Goliath, in armor, in your rights, so to speak, as a king? Or is your power in trust in what brought you to where you are in this moment? This is your story. You are that person. All you got to do is remember that the power of love works best when you listen to it instead of telling it what to do. I promise it's trying to tell you something right now. So can you find a way to drop the armor, to drop the preconceptions, to find one thing and let God steer you through it? Because every problem carries with it the means of its own undoing and every solution is just waiting for you to call on it waiting for you to be free because after all freedom is a choice thank you very much and as i said i want to thank you for for just working with this these stories with me. I want to thank you for these amazing, brilliant questions and comments I've been getting from people, from people who are watching this live with me on Sunday mornings and any old time through people who are just listening to the podcast when they're at the gym or whatever. It's working. If you can master your understanding of the Bible, you can master a lot of things about your life. This is great stuff. So keep it up. Please keep the questions coming. I love them. Thank you again for liking and subscribing. And it's so important to share these videos. It means everything for this church, for people listening, for all kinds of things. And obviously, I want to remind you that we are counting on you to support this ministry financially as well. So let's take those gifts of love and substance in our minds and hearts. I want to remind you, you can donate by going to donate.waterandstonechurch.com and let's bless the offering together. God is my source, my unending supply. With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. And so it is. Amen. And as always, I want to remind you that wherever you are, you're not there alone. You're part of a big family, bigger than you know. And in this family, we pray together. Let's share our dedication. God, I'm ready for change. My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. In the name and nature of Jesus Christ, amen. Now go show the world what love looks like today. I'll see you next week.